You're listening to Change the World, the podcast for Jewish nonprofit leaders. I'm your host, Sivya Kohn. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. I am with Rabbi Avi Schnall, who is the New Jersey director of Agudas Israel of America. Rabbi Schnall, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So let's dive right in. Can you introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about your background? So my background is born and raised in Flappish, got married to a girl from Lakewood, moved to Lakewood, been here for the past 15 years. Best place to live, in my opinion, as you see everyone flocking to Lakewood and surrounding neighborhoods. And I got, I had the opportunity to work for the Agudas Yisrael just a little bit more than nine years ago. It was an interesting story how it started, but Baruch Hashem, I had it like it, it just came out of the blue. And um, I've been there ever since. And we've, Baruch Hashem, had a tremendous amount of siyata deshmaya and help. And we've been able to accomplish a huge amount that we have big plans for the future. We like interesting stories. So uh, would you tell me a little bit about that? Because I, I always like to hear about how people got into working in the nonprofit world. It was a total fluke. It wasn't like, you know, some people that work in the Agoda. And some people that have interviewed by me, you know, over the years have like said, my, my dream in life is to work for the Agudah. And you know, I read the Rabbi Shera book and that's what I want to be. I wasn't that guy at all. I wasn't into politics. I wasn't into government. I wasn't, in, I didn't know about advocacy. I was working as a head counselor in Camp Ura, in Ura's Camp, the zone, for, for many, many years. And then I was looking for a, for a, for a full-time job, year-round job. In Ura, in the girls' camp, there is a lady, Mrs. Zucker, who has, whose husband, Rav Zucker, is the chairman of the New Jersey Board of Agudas Yisrael. And he heard that I was looking for a job. And he said, hey, Avi, I got a great opportunity for you. And uh, I, heard, I heard him out. I didn't know what exactly the job was or what it entailed, but I said, hey, why not? Let's give it a, at least an interview. Let's, let's have a conversation. I went for an interview with him and a guy, Dovi Gross, who's the co-chair and the Rabbi Yechiel Kalish, who today is the CEO of Hatzalah. And by, during the interview, I, I, I like interrupted and I said, I just want you guys to understand, I know nothing about politics. I know that our governor, his name is Governor Chris Christie, and I know that his Menashe Miller is the mayor only because Menashe Miller spends Shabbos Hanukkah in Ura. So I, that's all I know. I know nothing how it works. I know nothing about how it happens. I, I don't know politicians. Like, are you sure this is this makes sense? And they all laughed and they said, "No one really knows anything until you throw yourself into it, and you just have to jump in, and that's it. You'll learn to be a learning curve, which it absolutely was, and uh, we'll figure it out." And Baruch Hashem, nine years later, there definitely were, there definitely was that huge learning curve, and there definitely were mistakes and things happen. But if you have a supportive board and a supportive organization, they recognize the mistakes will happen, but they're able to see past it. And they helped me grow from there. And Baruch Hashem, today, you know, we're, we're, still, we're still rocking. Wow. So it was meant to be. So tell me about your current role. So the New Jersey office, my goodness is strong, Baruch Hashem has grown significantly. We also recently started another division called Zahav, which is a resource center for senior citizens. There is a huge growth and influx of seniors moving to Lakewood and surrounding neighborhoods. They want to be with their children. They want to downsize, whatever the reasons are. And we've realized that many, many, many of these seniors are moving to New Jersey and things change when you cross over state lines. So whatever 
program or assistance you're getting in New York is not necessarily the same in New Jersey. The insurance companies you had in New York are not the same as New Jersey. The doctors you had in New York are not the same in New Jersey. The Meals on Wheels program you got in New York is not the same as New Jersey. There's a lot of differences once you go from one state to the next. So to sort of alleviate this daunting task of someone that's older, just sold the house, is moving to an unknown area with a lot of questions, we started a resource center called Zahav. So the Agudas is on the Jersey office is more than just government advocacy, which is a huge part. We have these two other great programs, and we are actually in the middle of soon to be announced opening up more programs. So we 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 Agudas is sold as a whole, as an organization, is not only about government advocacy. There's Pirche, there's the camps, there's Project Learn, there's Yahalom now, which is in four different states in the country. We see voids, we see holes, and we attempt to fill them. And that's what we've been doing. Wow, that's incredible. I had no idea the, the scope of, of what you were involved in. That's really, really incredible. So I want to ask you to get into the advocacy piece with me, but I want to first share a little bit about why I became interested in it. And it was because I read a book called Forces of Good. And it was, it, the book really is years of research on what makes a nonprofit organization impactful, like really, really impactful. And the authors went like very deep into 12 organizations and they came out with six principles. And these principles are what m- separates very, very impactful organizations from everybody else. And one of those principles was the fact that these organizations both advocate and serve. And I found that very fascinating because I think the way the firm world kinds of thinks about it is there are advocacy organizations and then there are service-based organizations. So this idea of what you're saying of that you do both is to me really, really fascinating. I think that a lot of people in the nonprofit world should hear more about that. So for anybody who is not familiar with the term advocacy or is maybe only very vaguely familiar but doesn't really know what it involves, can you go through that for me? So advocacy, I mean, the, the, the simple translation of what advocacy is, getting involved in, in advocating for oneself, generally with, when it comes to government. But when you talk about organizations, there are many, many, Baruch Hashem, there are lots of organizations in our communities. And there are all different types of organizations that service very different communities and different areas. So advocacy could be on a governmental level. Advocacy could be on an agency level. It could be on a federation level, on, on an association level. Depends what it is. So you could have, for example, a free loan society that an organization wants to be able to tap into. So you can advocate to get services from that free loan society. You could have an independent nonprofit agency that helps other nonprofits. You advocate to get hooked up with that nonprofit. You have grants that are given by all sorts of foundations as advocacy to foundations. Advocacy as a term is very, very, very broad, especially when it comes to nonprofits getting involved in advocacy. So, you know, when it comes to government, many, many organizations, without themselves even realizing it, have a very big role when it comes to government and a need to have an involvement in government. It doesn't mean that everyone now has to become politicians and candidates and become, you know, political pundits, and and that becomes out of focus of their organization. But at a very minimal, some sort of involvement. You know, let's say Hatzala, for example. Hatzala is an easy case. Hatzala is a volunteer ambulance organization 
which when you have an organization like that, there's lots of rules and regulations on a state level, on a local level, on a city level that regulates how ambulances work, how medical procedures work. So if Hatzalah, it doesn't involve or engage at all in the realm of government, there could be laws that are passed that will hinder their ability to save people's lives. Or there are laws that are on the books today that we want to change that will enable Hatzalah to be able to do great stuff. I'll give you, you know, point case in hand. Hatzalah in New Jersey. In New Jersey, in Psaic Hatzalah, the Jersey Shore Hatzalah, the Edison Highland Park Hatzalah, none of them ever had paramedics. The reason is because the law in New Jersey was that if a paramedic wants to go to a scene, they have to go two together and they have to go on a bus. The bus is the big Hatzalah vans. Which basically, in the setup of Hatzalah, that's practically impossible. One paramedic would come, and you would have to wait till the next one arrives. Until you, while you wait, the person that you came to help could technically, Kassar die if they're in cardiac arrest. And there have been such stories where a Hatzalah member was called, and they couldn't do work, or they chose to do the work, and they got in trouble for it, whatever it is. So it was a very... This law was a real problem. And because of that, there were no paramedics on almost any of the Hatzalas or many of the Hatzalas in New Jersey because of this problem. So we worked with legislators to change that law. Because we were able to change the law, now there are paramedics in almost every single Hatzala throughout the state. And they could go, one, Hatzala, one paramedic can show up to a scene and immediately begin to provide life-saving treatment which till this law was changed, wasn't around. And then Hatzalah, through the process, came to a great recognition. Now, yeah, it's very important that there's an engagement with government when it comes to Hatzalah, ambulances, all of these things. So that's one you know, simple example. And it could apply to so many other organizations, depending on what they do, how government could either be a problem if they don't deal with it correctly, or how government could be a huge asset and an assistance if they deal with it correctly. How long does something like that take, getting a law changed? Is that a very long process? It happens to be that particular legislation was like a record breaker. It took six weeks. Wow. But that almost never happens. Like we told everybody, like, don't, 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 get excited. don't think that that's the norm. No, that is not the norm. It was done. It was fast tracked. Let's put it that way. And there were some very important legislators, Assemblyman Gary Sheriff from Saik, Senator Vingo Pal, that represents the deal community. They really put their their full energy into this bill. And we I can talk about New Jersey better than every other state, but in Trenton, there are timelines. Government is not open 12 months a year, 365 days a year. <laughs> so like there's times, there's sessions, there's on sessions, there's off sessions. There's when things move, there's lame duck sessions, there's, there's the on and off. So we knew that if we don't get a pass by a certain date, we're going to be out to like the winter break and then another break and then budget season. And that could take another five, six months. So there was a, a real urgency to get this passed fast, especially talking about Hatzala. It's, it's lives. It's literally lives. And the irony is, this is an incredible story to this, is that while this bill, while this piece of legislation was being voted on in the Senate, I believe it was, there was actually a girl in Lakewood that went into cardiac arrest. Wow. And a paramedic showed up 
and another paramedic happened to have been right nearby that showed up right away. And like everyone said, if not for the fact that it happened to be that two paramedics happened to have been right there on the block, the next paramedic was a five, six minute drive away. It was, you know, young, you know, eighth grade girl going to cardiac arrest, having to wait five minutes to be able to get the treatment she needed. It could have been the difference between life and death. So like that just woke everybody up to know we really have to fix this law yesterday. So, you know, it usually could take, it could take some, some, some legislation could take years. Some could take a few months. It depends when it's introduced. There's so many variables to how legislation works. But at the end of the day, it can be for many organizations a huge difference between a successful organization or a phenomenally successful organization. Do you feel that it's something that all nonprofits should be getting themselves involved in? Are, are not enough, specifically, I guess, in the firm world, are not enough of them taking advantage of what change could possibly be made within their specific area of expertise? I definitely think that there could. there's always room for improvement. <laughs> That's a nice, nice way to say it. <laughs> so, and we can always do more, but I do believe that there's some, some organizations are doing better than, better than others. You know, some organizations recognize this. I was thinking COVID woke a lot of people up. COVID woke a lot of organizations up, especially the Bikachaylam type organizations, those type of medical health services organizations recognized through COVID how big of a role government can and can't play when people were not allowed to go into hospitals to visit their relatives, when people couldn't get food into hospitals, when whatever it was, that woke people up to the importance of creating relationships with government officials because you never know when that next Emergency is going to come up. It should never be another COVID, but something else will come up. You need to make a phone call to some government official. At the end of the day, government controls a huge amount of our world. That's just the reality. So whether it's the police department or the fire department or whatever it may be, it's all under the umbrella of government. And having zero contacts and you're a nonprofit that needs to help people, it's probably a huge mistake. So the ones that aren't doing it, do you think that it's because they don't think it's their responsibility? They don't know where to start? Like if you had to guess, what's holding them back? I think a lot of them don't know where to start. A lot of them don't know where to start. And a lot of them just don't know why they need it. Like what for? So that some learn and some don't learn. But I'm sure after this show, everyone's going to hear about this. and I'm going to get a lot of phone calls. That's very true. So if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, hey, we have to get into this. Where do you start? They should give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> is that like, is that officially what you do? Like you? No. So here's what, it, yes and no. What does get complicated sometimes in the world of advocacy is when you have multiple organizations all vying for different needs and it's all to benefit the seamer. and sometimes we step over each other's toes or they could be stepping over each other's toes. What ends up happening is no one gets anything. So it's always best if there's a sort of like a central nucleus where people can work from and people that have experience in government that can help guide organizations what to do and are familiar with what other organizations are doing, what else is happening, or what other things are going on now in the halls of government, which may not be the best time right now to do what you want to do. And you're only going to upset people if you bring up this topic or don't bring up that topic. So th there needs to be a system for an organization that's going to listen to this podcast and say, great, you know, Avi Shunas, so we got to get involved. We're going to hire lobbyists. And they're going to go to Albany or Trenton or whatever state they're in and say, we, we want to get whatever we want to get. We want to get this, you know, amount of money for our organization. 
And without knowing that there's a whole other, you know, group of, of organizations that are part of an umbrella that are working on something else, that this may hurt your cause. It also may hurt the Tzibur in a very, very real way without even, with unintentionally. So that's what I say, give us a call. Not that give us a call, we'll take care of all your problems. No, not necessarily. We try. But give us a call so we can discuss and see what the right strategy is to make sure that, that the halal is benefiting from this in the best possible way and that your organization is set up to benefit in the best possible way. You know, I, I just had yesterday a, a group of parents came to our office. And I mentioned before our our division, our organization called Yalom. So when we started Yalom, we, we, it brought us to recognize a lot of holes in the world of special needs, in New Jersey particularly, when it comes to services, schools, therapies, all different holes that are not being filled. And that now gives us an advocacy agenda. Because how do you fill those holes? Well, in New York State, the state's providing X amount of services. And in New Jersey, they're not getting these services. So who do we speak to? We'll speak to the government. But there's a process. Well, we just had, literally just yesterday, a group of parents and were talking about a certain regulation that the state of New Jersey has when it comes to private schools for special needs, with, for children with special needs. And this regulation needs to get changed. It's not a money thing. It's a regulation. How service I'm not going to get too much into the weeds of it. But it's a regulation. However, because they came to our office, we were able to speak it through and strategize and say, right now in New Jersey, we are in the heat of the budget debates. No one hears or wants to hear anything outside of budget. For me to make phone calls to anyone in the governor's office to discuss this issue is either going to hurt our efforts or we're trying to get on the budget, or it's going to hurt our efforts here because they're not going to want to hear this when they have time to hear it because it's going to be synonymous with the annoying phone call that Schnall gave them when they're fighting over a budget bill. So you have to know when and what time. So right now we're working on a budget to increase funding for transportation, to increase funding for auxiliary services and our yeshivas. That's our focus right now because now is the time to do that. Once budget season ends, so great, everyone goes on a vacation for a couple of weeks. End of July, there's no budget talks. It's before the election season. The government governor is not running for re-election. It's more of a calm time for them. That's the time that we're going to advocate for this regulation change. So we have a strategy. If they would have just gone on their own, we have a regulation change and hire lobbyists do it. They'll be hurting themselves. They'll be hurting other efforts. And no one would have gained. Here we're able to put together a strategy. That makes a lot of sense because you can't just have everyone bombarding the same people for different needs. I hear that that would become no. a mess. So no. if an outside organization approaches you and they have a legitimate, something that needs to be advocated that you strategically advise, what would be the next steps? Do you make the connections for them? Do you take them to meetings? Usually, yeah. Depending on what, depending on what it is, but generally speaking, you know, a good Israel, I believe the way to coin it, besides all of the myriad programs we have, I always, you know, I'll give a good, a good uh, an anecdote. A couple of weeks ago, a class from Kushner in New Jersey came to Lake Order, and uh, they asked me to speak for them. So I spoke to them, and one of the boys asked me, well, you know, Rabbi Shnal, what do you do? So I said, an easy way to explain is I'm a lobbyist. Who are my clients? You're my clients. Clients is our client. So I'm a lobbyist, and you're the client. So that's really how we you know, perceive ourselves, which is the reality. So if an organization comes to us 
we're now their lobbyists. We're going to help them in, in, the, in as much as we possibly can, as long as it's a legitimate request that makes sense. If there are questions, we go to our, you know, Das Tire, our Mets is going to to make sure that, that it's so we should be working on, that, that it's a real true need. And we, we work for them. So whether it's us taking on the project from the advocacy end, or whether it's making connections for them, depending on what it is. I mean, sometimes the organization is a small organization that cannot do the advocacy. They just can't do it. They're, they're not set up for it. So we'll take on the project if it's appropriate. There are times where the organization really wants to have a much bigger hand in the advocacy, and they just need a little you know, guidance, a little help. So we'll do it that way, depending on what it is. But the absolute organization calls us up. We have this idea. We have this thought. We'll help the CBER. What do we do? They will definitely get help, whether that's through, the, through a method of, of guidance, whether it's through advice, whether it's through connections, whether, or whether it's us fully taking on the project, if that's what they want, and, and running with it. Would you recommend that every organization cultivate government relationships the same way they, let's say, cultivate donor relationships? Or should they leave that to people like you? Again, it depends on the organization. It depends on the organization of what they do. But many should to a certain degree, meaning obviously donors are donors. And I think organizations that are nonprofits that live off of donors, that that's how they pay their bills. Donor relationships is going to be paramount. That's the number one relationship. So I would imagine that there are there is like a decision-making process that you go through internally to decide, because you did mention that while you're primarily about advocacy, you do provide services, right? So I would imagine there's some kind of decision process of where you say, you know what, I don't think that we can advocate our way out of this. <laughs> this, this is something that people need. Can you walk me through what that looks like? Sure. It depends on what service you're looking to do, to know how much could be done on advocacy and how much you just have to go provide services. So I, you know, I, I'll give you an example. We have this, this organization called Yalom. Now, when Yalom started, it was actually an interesting story how it started. We were approached by a group of mothers that said that there was a, a lack of guidance when it came to families knowing what to do when they have a child that has special needs. Now, there's great schools and there's great programs, there's great organizations, but there was no glue putting them all together. And helping a family, you go here for this, you go there for that, and you need this to come to this. And they knew that there, was, there were things that were falling through the cracks. So we, we got together and we opened up this, we, we put together a board of very dedicated and devoted Balabatim that took on the responsibility to start this organization we hired someone, her name is Mrs. Laniado, Hannah Laniado, which is incredible. She sat for about three, four months just doing research, learning all the different programs and everything that's out there, and then we launched the organization. Now, once we launched the organization, we realized that there's a lot of holes that's, that's missing, and there's also a lot of opportunities of government help in the services we're doing. So without giving away too many of the secrets, there are certain programs we are intending on opening up within the next six, seven months that will be government programs that are purely advocacy programs that were done through advocacy. But we have to start with the base first. I mean, you're, not gonna, not, you're not going to. It's very unlikely to start an organization because of advocacy. That You went to a government, you got a grant, you start an organization. It happens, but most organizations are not started that way. You look at all the different nonprofits you work with. 
probably most of them, if not all of them, were not started by a government grant. Once you start, then there are opportunities for government grants to come and help you expand and provide more services and do more. But um, a school is a great example. No one starts a school based off of the money he gets from the government. You start a school because you start a school and you have to fundraise for it. You have to collect tuitions for it. You have to get a board. You have to get a parent body. Once you have the school, then you can tap into different government programs and they can be a lifeline for your school once you have it set up. You're not, your foundation is not the government program. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So pardon my ignorance, but is the term advocacy for nonprofits ever used in a, like outside of a government perspective? Because I'm just thinking of like sure. some of the issues that, that nonprofits face, they do involve like major change that needs to happen, but maybe it's not government. Maybe it's the way the school system works or, you know, maybe it's just the way the community works. Like, is there advocacy in that sense? There, there is a, the, the term advocacy is a, is a loose term, so it can be used anywhere. I can advocate for my child to get accepted to a school. I can advocate for a kid to get accepted to camp. So advocate means to advocate for somebody, whichever realm you're doing it in. We generally do it in, in the realm of government, but uh, we advocate for foundations to help us when they necessarily wouldn't be helping us. We can advocate, this, this, the examples are, are, uh, are endless and, and where people could advocate. The word advocate can be applied to numerous scenarios outside of just government advocacy. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm asking because what I really think we can accomplish through this conversation is just a mindset shift in the fact that so many organizations, they keep their head down and crisis after crisis and, and helping people in the way they know how. But sometimes if you kind of pick your head up and say, what can we actually change on a structural level, on a community level, like that will prevent some of these issues? That can be very, very powerful because you can really change a lot of it before it becomes a problem, before it becomes a crisis. That to me seems like it could be so impactful. I heard a great line once from my friend and mentor, Haskell Bennett, that uh, he told me once, our organization, we do wholesale chesed. There's retail chesed and there's wholesale chesed. The retail is the simple mom pop shops. They sell you a slice of bread. They sell you a piece of cake. They sell you a bottle of milk. And then there's the wholesalers that are making the, that are wholesale. Our one line in the governor's budget can impact tens of thousands of people. So it's wholesale. It's a wholesale. We're not, we're not working with the individual necessarily so much. We're sitting in a state house. We're sitting in a meeting. We're sitting in a boardroom. We're not dealing with the retail store of people coming in. I need help. Help me here. We, we gave you a, a tangible service. Our services, especially in government and advocacy, this kind of advocacy, is not so tangible. People don't see, they don't feel it. But it's wholesale. People don't see the wholesale manufacturer, but they know that the bread only got to the store because there's a wholesaler making it somewhere. So, you know, I, I always give an example in, in Lakewood, we have Kanainara 55,000 kids going to the, in the yeshiva system here. That's a real number, by the way. It's not inflated. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of kids. There's 55,000 kids every single day. Almost all of those kids get on a bus. About 97% of those kids get on a bus to school every year. Now, I have never driven a bus and picked up any kid. However, I go to Sisrael with our partners, Committee and Mayor Lichtenstein and others. We've worked to ensure that our bus services are able to function every year by sending in Trenton and having meetings with legislators and working with the governor's office. So we're wholesale. We've wholesaled 50,000 kids to get to school every day. But the retail 
The actual bus driver is the guy with the retail bringing the kids to school. So that's where, you know, one small difference, which is not, it seems small, but one behind the scene advocacy regulation change could have an impact on an entire community and not just any community, a community the size of like. That's such an amazing point, but I'm just wondering as you're speaking, is it a challenge to sort of filter that through to the end users to let them know like, hey, this is what we're doing? That's our biggest challenge. That is the that is the challenge. That is the challenge. It is it is uh <laughs> that that is the the the, the century old challenge. My goodness, is all. I don't know how we'll ever be able to change that. But people like to, which is I'm this, everyone's the same way. Naturally, people like to feel and see how you've impacted me. So, you know, a, a bigger chayla, for example, someone's in the hospital. They see the bigger chayla meals. It's there. They need a wheelchair. They know that it's there. They need. They go to a hospital. The bigger chayla liaison is there in the hospital with you. It's there. You see it in front of you. The mother whose child is getting services in school, who would not be getting services if not for a budget increase into that program, doesn't see that connection. And it's it's tough to give over that that message. Press releases don't really do the job so well. So it's it's hard. It's very, very hard. And that that definitely is a a huge challenge. So what have you tried besides press releases? As as a marketing person, I'm fascinated by yeah. this idea of it of like you're the invisible organization right right it's in a big well we are we are everyone knows about everyone heard about good this is wrong everyone heard yeah oh absolutely i I was once by a meeting in in a lakewood coalition meeting the first lakewood coalition meeting ever i think it was probably six years ago seven years ago and everyone went around around there when they all introduced themselves on this organization i'm a loyal lake rock all this that and they're very clear we provide support groups for single moms we provide meals for competence. Everyone's a very simple, direct, tangible service. And then it got to my turn. I said, I'm not Vishnal for my goodness, Israel. I said, we're the organization that everybody in this room heard of. And probably no one could describe what it is exactly that we do. And everyone chuckled, but it's true. It, it's, it's that challenge. So, yeah, you know, you'll see our charity campaigns over the last few years have gotten a lot better and giving over the best. We try to find those personal stories, that mother who had a kid that was struggling in school, that was not getting services. And due to the changes we made, they got services. We find that what you know the, the 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 guy that lost his job on Shabbos that we, you know, were able to get it get it back from. We fought we have to find those personal stories where to show that it's real. Now it's still a challenge because so they had that story, but I'm not having the story, even though I am having the benefit. So there is that disconnect, which is a huge challenge. And uh, that's why the marketing people, whoever they are, have a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the government piece for a minute, because I, I think that's really the important thing I wanted to drive home through this conversation. Like if, if it's an organization who's thinking about trying this for the first time, I, I like to be very real in my conversation. So what obstacles can they anticipate? I'm sure the process of getting laws changed is a long, drawn out yes. and difficult process. So what can they practically expect? They could practically expect that things take a long time. That's number one. They could expect that they may get nothing. They may get nothing. That's how it goes. They may get absolutely nothing after a year's worth of work. Now, again, it's not because it's government. It's not you're hiring a person that's working on this 24-7. There's, there are stages. There are steps. There's, it's not a constant work, so to speak, for an organization to go after a certain program or to try to get a certain... Law change. It's not every single day waking up and focusing on that. 
There's only certain times that it happens. There's only, it's limited in how much energy and investment they have to make. But they may get nothing out. It may not be successful. No one can promise anything when it comes to government. You know, right now in New Jersey, we have a budget. We've been working on the budget the last couple of months to increase funds for two particular programs. Right now in New Jersey, there may be a government shutdown for all we know. And that could put the entire budget into limbo on something that has absolutely nothing to do with the from community at all. It's a debate over a senior tax rebate. That's it, nothing. It has nothing to do with Agudas Assault. It has nothing to do with any organization. It's completely unrelated. But we have no idea what will actually end up happening in the budget negotiations and what will remain and what will not remain and what will be the sacrificial you know, lamb on that debate. And we, we do our best to make sure we're not. But there's so many pieces and it's a puzzle government that you may think you're on the right path and things are going great. And you know, here's a, just, just to get a little weedy, every bill, every legislation has to have a sponsor, a government, a represent, a, either assemblyman or some that they sponsor the bill. They take on the bill and it's their bill. If that sponsor falls out of the good grace of the governor over a totally separate entity, the governor is not going to sign his bill so fast. Now you'll say it's not fair. It may not be fair. That's how politics works. So there's so many obstacles that could come up that if someone goes into it, if an organization feels, which they should, they're definitely, at the very least, there should be a conversation. What and where could I benefit? Internally, before they call us up and say, here's our organization, this is what we do. What do we think could be a possibility of government help in our organization? Is it grants? Is it an agency help? Is it building a relationship with, you know, I, I get an example. Could be they, I, I'm not, I'm speaking as purely as an example. You have an organization like Amudim, right? They deal with a lot of very, very sensitive topics, child abuse and neglect and all sorts of things. It probably makes sense. I'm, I'm sure they do this. I'm imagining they do this in New York and they probably do this in New Jersey and in many other states. It makes sense. They should have serious relationships with the Department of Family Services. They should know who the commissioner of the Department of Children's Services is, are. They should know who the people in DIFUS. They should have relationships with chaplains that are in DIFUS. They should know those people. Now, doesn't mean that they're going to use them every single day, but they at least should make the effort to ensure that they know those people. It's not a grant. It's not money. It's not funding. It's part of your organizational operation. You want to know who the government people are in those areas that is intimately close to what you're doing. So the organization should have an internal conversation. What could we do or where do we need to go to help our organization when it comes to government? The answer may be blank. The answer may be, let's call Agudas Yisrael and hear their suggestions. And then we'll have a conversation. I will say, you know, you need to do, or you should explore X, Y, and Z in years. And I did how to do it. But um, probably every organization to some extent, unless it's a very, 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 very limited focused, specific organization that doesn't fall under any government umbrella, there probably is to some extent a connection with some government agency. I may sound naive asking this, but are the decisions that ultimately change laws, are they all political, like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? 
that type or there is there any like appealing to emotion like they just see like there's a real need or is it that's off the table so the answer is it's always both <laughs> it's always both you you definitely want to have a good case you want to have a good case that people will be interested in helping you and then there's politics so based on the politics can decide how much they want to help you but if your case isn't a good case then it's 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 complicated also when it comes to any advocacy effort the key is coalitions the key is coalitions and networks you know, i always say when people i'll give you an example there was a a law that high lifeline was very involved with in new jersey that uh, there was a regulation that basically wasn't going to allow for lack of better words the parents in New Jersey to use many parents in New Jersey that were on Medicaid to use CHOP Hospital. Now, that would have been a huge blow to many, many parents and uh, many of the Chai Lifeline children. So Chai Lifeline, you know, they called a meeting with myself and Committee Mayor Lichtenstein, who's a guru when it comes to, you know, New Jersey politics. He has decades of experience. And and besides being a tzaddik that he is, and we, we had a meeting and we said, what do we do? And my first question to him was, we also had Dr. Freeman, Dr. Dr. Freeman, also a tremendous person who runs Chemed, which is the federally qualified health clinic here in Lakewood. So we have, you know, different people. My first question was, who else does this affect besides for for people living in Lakewood, New Jersey? So you want to get cold? That's the first question. And they did the research. They found out that there's this community, is that community is great. Let's tap into those communities and create our own coalition and create our own force and see how this goes. And at the end, there was a law that was passed and signed into law that, that changed that in a, in a drastic way. So, but the first question is finding coalitions. That's the, that's the number one, number one, generally speaking. You want to get partners. You don't want it to be just about a specific niche group that lives in a specific zip code. Because after remember, any change in the law goes for a vote. So why is the senator in Camden County or in Burlington County or in Bergen County that has nothing to do with your community, that does nothing to do with the people you service, want to support, even if it's a great program? Why are they supporting it for? What do they get at? So you want to get partners. That's the that's the key. And again, that's all part of those conversations that we have. Power in numbers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, amazing. I think this was really, really helpful. If somebody wants to get involved, has a question, what's the best way for them to contact you? Best way is through email. Aishnal at agoda.org. A-S-C-H-N-A-L-L at agoda, A-G-U-D-A-H. Don't forget the H. Dot org. Amazing. So before we sign off, I'd like to just leave people with one main takeaway. Um, if you could sum that up in one sentence or even two, what would be the main point that you would want anyone who listens to this who works for a nonprofit or is not involved in a nonprofit in any way to take away from this conversation on advocacy? There's a world of opportunities. There's a world of opportunities and we should at the very least try and attempt to tap into those. And we could be raising a lot of money and fundraisers and they're all great, but there's a whole world of government that we could and we should tap into, at the very least, explore the opportunities and the possibilities. And the answer may be no, but at least you gave it a shot. I love that. Thank you, Rabbi Schnall. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tsivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com.